0: You're listening to the Fair to Midland podcast, the podcast where independent riders can talk about their work and share their inspirations. This week, we're joined by Justin Lee. Justin Lee lives in East Tennessee with his wife and two children. His work has appeared in Punk Noir Magazine, The Ergonaut, Wreck and Review, Mirrors Reflecting Shadows and Anthology, Cowboy Jamboree, among others. And he's currently at work on his novella titled Out There in the Dark. I've known Justin for quite a while now, and I've really been looking forward to this conversation. So without further ado, here's episode two of the Fair to Midland podcast with Justin Lee. All right um how snowed in are you right now how bad is it uh it's like uh six inches six and a half oh, golly y'all got six and a half yeah yeah so we're, we're snowed in uh we got two and a half here and it wasn't too bad we got out and drove around on it last night but some idiot came down our road with a snow plow so now i've got like four inches at the end of my driveway <laughs> <laughs> instead of two inches so <laughs> trying to get out is uh, a little more difficult than it was yesterday so yeah um We'll start uh, kind of uh, just with introducing you to everybody else. I know you and I have talked online for for quite a while and gone back and forth just due to our uh, shared association with Cowboy Jamboree and and things like that. But I wanted to kind of let everybody else know who you are and what your background is in not just life, not just in writing, but kind of in life, too. So uh, tell everybody kind of about Justin Lee and uh, how you came to came to be a writer and and get involved in, in what we're involved in here
1: okay well um i guess the easiest way to start is uh, i didn't really have any intentions of being a writer growing up i didn't really read fiction until i was uh i don't know 25 i uh besides stuff that was required in school you know but uh i read an interview one time with david joy where he said that really you ain't gonna become a reader until you fall in love with the book so you know i just the Scarlet Letter and all the other stuff that they signed just wasn't doing it for me. Um, the only books that I remember reading that I liked back then was The Outsiders and Of Mice and Men, both of them, which I still, you know, reread those every now and then. I'm a big rereader. But uh, I'm born and raised in East Tennessee. Um, I used to be a prison guard at a maximum security prison for about three three and a half years now I work at a tire plant mm-hmm. but I started writing and really reading because I've always been a big movie guy and um I watched Gone Baby Gone which is you know adaption of a Dennis Lehane book and you know I went and read the book and I'm like man I really like this noir genre so uh I looked up a list of noir titles and the devil all the time and where all a lot tends to go by David oh, yeah. joy yeah. showed up on there. So I got those two. So I'm like, huh, they actually write stories set around like where I live, you know? And, uh, man, I just fell in love with the devil all the time, which I fell in love with where all that tends to go too. But, uh, that Donald Ray Pollack book just I don't know, did something to me. So, uh, you know, I, that made me a reader. So I started reading more and more fiction. And then, uh, that led to me discovering raymond carver mm-hmm. and uh, i read a story by him called the bath and uh, i was just shocked by how how much emotion and how much story he was telling was just the fewest of words you know oh yeah like yeah. you cut away all the all the bad there was no no purple prose which i'm not dogging purple prose you know if that's your thing that's your thing you know it's just that that stuff tends to turned me off a little bit you know yeah. so uh, yeah after i read that i'm like well, i will to give this rotten thing a shot and that was about a year and a half ago really so that's wrote, short yeah, yeah yeah i've never been well have some college credits you know i didn't i don't have mfa or anything like that i just mm-hmm. uh just started writing and i lucked up and you know my first story that i finished which is called rotten tree got published. So I'm like, Oh, this publishing thing is easy. And then the <laughs> second story that I wrote, uh, <laughs> got rejected. So, uh, you know, They'll come back like a boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, it was a quick wake up call. You know, yeah. like, I don't know what all these people were talking about. I don't understand yeah. that, you know, and yeah. I didn't think I was good or anything like that. I still don't. It's just, you know, I had one win, I'm like, oh, okay. I got it. <laughs> I got it all figured out. <laughs> I yeah. did the
0: same.
1: I did the same thing. I wrote a. I wrote a little uh,
0: humor story. Uh, I mentioned it last podcast. It's called "Michigan's for Lovers," and it was just about this really disastrous uh, vacation we took to Michigan. And uh, I sent it off, and uh, they picked it up. And they published it, and that was the first thing that I'd written that was like humorous. And I thought, man, I'm gonna be the next David Sedaris, you know? <laughs> like this, thing, I'm like, this stuff's <laughs> easy, you know. And then like. I got back to what I wrote, wrote and golly, they were just boomerang stories, you know. Just, oh, golly. yeah, it's, I think that's the part people don't understand is like if you do hit one out of the park on the first one, the next ones are just like strike out, strike out, strike out, you know, and that's part yeah. of it. Unfortunately, uh, I read a really funny tweet earlier today. I don't know if you saw it. You're talking about you don't have an MFA or you, you weren't involved in any of that, but the MFA yeah. can be a brutal awakening too, kind of the same way. I think the, uh, uh, the tweet was uh, I, I think it's funny when people talk about birthing a story in a workshop and then you hold the baby up and everybody tells you how ugly it is basically, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is. Like you put your stuff out there and you love it and it is your baby. And then everybody else is like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you're really going for here. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, and it's, figuring uh, out
1: what you're going for is, is the rough part, you yeah, know?
0: and it takes you a while. It takes you a while to kind of figure out what you want to write. Anyway, so you you mentioned Joy and and Pollock and Carver, like East Tennessee, like you know that's McCarthy territory over there. So like, what other guys have kind of or guys or ladies or or whoever has, has uh, influenced your work?
1: Oh, I mean those two really, you know, got me started.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh really, the uh the three. I'm on cheating. I'm gonna say four here later. Oh, you, know. you can say as many. Um, <laughs> the uh, the biggie is uh, Raymond Carver. I- I'd say he's probably you know all around my favorite writer. Yeah. Um, Willie Blounton. Are you familiar with him at yeah. all?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Willie. Yeah.
1: Um, Lucia Berlin. Mm-hmm. But she has a, she's a short story writer and um, Kent Harrow. You know, the guy who wrote "Plain Song or Souls of Night. Yeah. Yeah. Big influence, which they're, you know, all their prose is, like, pretty stripped down, pretty sparse. It's uh, I'm not big on labels or anything like that, but, you know, it gets labeled under dirty realism, so it's, like, kind of yeah. like grit you know. Yeah, But oddly enough, none of those are really Southern writers or Appalachian writers or anything like that. But, I mean, to me they talk about a lot of the same stuff and they communicate it the same, the same way, you know? Yeah.
0: So here's the thing, right? Like we travel a fair bit, go around and like my wife likes to travel. And a lot of the places we've gone, you get a, you feel a kinship with some people in some places you go, you don't feel anything, you know, but when yeah. we go to East Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, a place like that, that feels more like, arkansas than parts of arkansas you know northwest arkansas is a completely different planet than where than where (laughs) i'm from um and that's the funny thing you know and i I may have mentioned this in the last pod i don't i don't know but a lot of people when they think of arkansas and tennessee and place like that they get that beverly hillbillies vibe and look where the hills are where i'm from is where the money's at you know and if, if you're going if you're going for that stereotype you're going to miss a lot of of what's going on here. And I just feel like the people that really feel like my people are the people from Appalachia more so than more Southwestern riders or or places that are closer to to Arkansas. There's something there. Um, or maybe it's cause some of my people are from there and moved to Arkansas from, from that area that makes me feel that. But I mean, it came across to my wife too, that we sound the same. We, we say a lot of the same words and dialect, um, than, than other regions of the country. So, I mean, we do share that. So I think I do connect more with Appalachian riders probably than, um, the Mississippi riders, you know, which is yeah. right on, right on my doorstep.
1: So, yeah, yeah it's, I'm, it's, uh, I'm 100% sorry if you hear my kids. I got a two and a five year old. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I I
0: think it'll let it out. I wouldn't worry about that at all. Life is what <laughs> life is. So, what about um, you? Talk about having kids there, and I know that can be part of writing. So, what what's your process? When and where do you write?
1: Um, see, that's that's another thing. You know, uh, it's kind of a long long answer i guess oh it's uh, yep. you know at the beginning like probably around a year ago i took a writing workshop with Sheldon. yeah and uh we we talked about you know what the process is if you uh, are part of the five o'clock writers' club and all that and to be honest i don't really have a process either i just whenever i get the time you know like sometimes I, i'm able to get up early and uh you know write for a good solid 20 30 minutes sometimes an hour sometimes as soon as i get up and sit in the chair the kids wake up so so that's yeah. not happening uh, a lot of my stories i wrote you know like sitting at the uh sitting at the table helping them color and then i get an idea and i just start writing it out and then they come over there and try they say they're going to write a story too and you know they scribble stuff with crayon and all that but uh, <laughs> yeah it uh it's rough trying to you know carve out time, but I try my best yeah. too. You know? I, I'm kind
0: of the same way. I don't have a set routine. Like I do get up at five every morning, but it's not to write. Um, it's more to just kind of settle my mind and get ready for the day. Writing kind of comes to me. We talked about this in school. They're, they're always talk about process. Like you've got to have a process and you've got to dedicate a certain portion of your time to writing. And I don't disagree with that, but where I do disagree is I can't tell you when that time's going to be, you know, um, stories, even novels to a certain extent come to me fully formed. Uh, like I pretty well know where I'm going. Uh, I don't know the details, but I know how it's going to start and I know how it's going to end when I get it and then I termed this uh term <laughs> coined a phrase in grad school called exorcism writing where you've almost just got to sit down <laughs> and get it all out just at once especially with a short story and that's kind of the same way we're writing a song too like if you if you sit down the good work that I've done whether it be a short story a song or a novel has been something that I got out in a very short period of time and then yeah. I was able to go back and and edit it and rewrite it if i needed to but you know if it takes a long time kind of found that it's not worth it i've got two i got a novella and another novel that i just completely stopped working on just because i got out of the story and i never got back into it oh yeah short stories you can do that with but a a novel i think once those it's almost like those characters are dead you know and you you can't bring them back to life (laughs) they're goners, <laughs> they're goners. <laughs> so um yeah i mean it's
1: it's it's difficult
0: um yeah i'm which so,
1: i'm a i'm a panther you know yeah i guess there's a phrase for, you know like i don't really have a plan or anything like that i just sit down
0: i've got an, yeah i've got an outline but the outline is basically just like chapter one this happens right and then the rest of yeah. it is just pants Because, like I said, I know where it's going, but I can't really tell you how how it's going to get there. It's that Stephen King quote about, you know, once you start writing, the characters do what they want to, you know, which is is magic that happens. And I think people don't really realize that when you start writing a story, that character is going to do an act like that character does an act. Like all you're doing
1: is just kind
0: of watching. Do you do this thing where when you're writing, you can see it in your
1: head like a movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I try to, you know, yeah. and there's been times, like you said, like you're like, I start out a story and it, I started out with a certain idea in mind, like, okay, like I have a general idea of what happens. Mm-hmm. So it's going to start like this. And then by the time I arrive, it, it's totally different, <laughs> not even <laughs> remotely how I started it out. And uh, like you said, you just kind of sit there and watch it happen, which I never believed. I just thought that, you know, that was like something that people said.
0: No, it, it's but, a thing. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, it is a thing. And whenever it happens, it, it's weird. I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know how to do anything else now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I tried writing, like after, you know, I had a couple of short stories get published. I'm like, well, I'm going to try writing a novel. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. on, I'm going to try something longer. Yeah. And, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that did not fan out. It, uh,
0: I, like I wrote
1: I, I, and rewrote yeah. nonstop and I, I'm big on editing as yeah. I go. You know, yeah. like I can't, if I have to go back, it really uh, takes the steam away yeah. from me. I find the novel easier.
0: I, I don't know. Like, I think a short story, I think you got to get, you talked about Carver. I mean, you've got to get these things like so pristine and perfect that golly, yeah. they take a lot out of you. But whereas with a novel, that's like a slow burn. You can work with it. You can finish it. And hell, you can go back and rewrite it <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> like, I mean, you're not on any. And a lot of the times you're trying to meet a deadline or you're trying to write to a prompt or a, a theme. And that can be a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I did, oh, yeah. one, I did one here recently and you're probably doing it too. The, um the CJ Press covers. Are you doing one for yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So see, I I sat down and picked one and then covered it. And that was easier because you are kind of going from a set template. So you're not trying to come up with everything all at once and then roll with it. But I find short stories intimidating. I I don't know. Uh, I'd much rather work. I
1: have have the hardest time stretching stuff out. Yeah. You know, like I'm, it's not like I'm some kind of like master short story writer or anything like Mm. that, because that's just the, that's just the form that I have more success with, you know, which I'm yeah. working on a bell right now. And I, that's more, more my speed, you know, like even, you know, uh, Willie Blouton he uh, talks about how he writes his books to where like when somebody gets off a 12 hour shift, I want them to rather than sit on the couch and watch TV or play video games or whatever. I want them to be able to sit there and read a book. You know, yeah. like I'm not big on wasted time, you know, cause yeah. I don't have any no, yeah.
0: no, no one else no, no, does that's either. That's <laughs> right. Well, and we talked about that. I mean, you, you want people to read, but you want them to be able to finish too. And yeah. Uh, a book, uh, we said this the last time, a book that's over 280 pages is a lot of work for somebody these days because there's just so much stuff in the world that that just garners people's attention. Like people just want to, they want to watch Netflix or they want to stream you know, sports or wh- whatever they want to do. like, And then your kids are there and it's just pulling you in a hundred different directions. And the only time a lot of people get to read is like in bed at night, you know? Oh yeah. And, and they've got 30 minutes before it puts them to sleep. No matter how good it is, a book's going to put you to sleep and yeah. uh, you need to feel like you're making some, making some progress with it and feel like, you know, this isn't going to be a huge undertaking, you know, like I want to, I want to know these people. I want to get into the plot and I want to understand how all this wraps up in a short amount of time. And I think if you can do that, that shows that you got more talent than somebody that drags it out for, <laughs> you know, a week or writes a
1: 1200 page
0: book. I it just, I've never under, never understood that. I,
1: yeah. I mean, there's like doors. I call them doorstops. They're, they're very yeah. intimidating, you know, like, yeah. okay. Uh, Stephen King, you know, mm-hmm. I know you guys talked about him too. Mm-hmm. For me, it, the shorter, his stuff leans the better it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I agree a, with that. Like eleven twenty two sixty three. 63. Mm-hmm. There's parts of that book that's amazing. Some of the best mm-hmm. stuff. He wrote. But then, you know, he stretches stuff to where yeah. it, it lingers too long. Everybody I, gets a backstory and it, it's <laughs> like a 1200 page book.
0: <laughs> I think the sweet spot's probably somewhere between 50 and 75,000. Uh, I think. Yeah. I think any more than that, it's you're asking too much people today. Yeah. That too. There's a lot of wank involved in it. Like, I mean, if you're just like, look at the words I can use um, <laughs> sometimes that that's too much. And, and that's coming from somebody that you know, likes Faulkner, <laughs> you know, like I can, <laughs> I can sit and read a Faulkner. I can read McCarthy. some of McCarthy's more florid stuff. Like it, that doesn't bother me because I feel like they've got, I feel like I've bought in, like I've got a grasp on what they're doing or what they're trying to do. And I don't feel like they're showing off. Whereas you right. read some stuff today and it it's just like, well, let's pump all this in here that we can pump in here.
1: Um, well, I'll, I'll say that McCarthy, as far as like those writers that, you know, are more, uh, he's more flowery language. Yeah. His stuff is more palatable. Yeah. For me. You know, no, I agree. You know, and like I said, I'm not dogging anybody that writes like that or likes reading that stuff because, you know, yeah. who am I? You know, I ain't going to yuck somebody's young. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as McCarthy goes, his stuff's, you know, sparse enough to where you, uh, you don't get super lost in the language. Like, you know, there, there's a barrier between the author and the reader. And, you know, whenever you start thinking about, oh, I bet he felt really clever sitting at a keyboard typing that out. Mm-hmm. And that just takes me out of the story. You know, well,
0: he wasn't afraid to use like archaic words either. Like some words you won't even know what they are, but I think that yeah. his talent was, he could give it to you in context where you kind of knew what he was talking about, whether you knew that word or not blood meridians, full of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's accessible. I, I think there's a, a tendency these days to write inaccessible novels, um, Yeah, for, for the average person, now I'm not saying that you know there shouldn't be florid prose and there shouldn't be big books and there shouldn't be books that cause you to think because I like those books too. But I want to know going in that that's what that book is. I don't want to sit down and read a crime or a thriller or a, a mystery book that's 1,200 pages long. Um, yeah, that I, I mean, think needs to go quicker. You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> like you know, I like a lot of. The- I like a lot of nonfiction. And, yeah. you know, those books are kind of doorstops sometimes. Yeah. Some of them.
0: But, but you know that going in, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've got, you mentioned that doorstops. I've got my computer sitting on the Grant book, you know, the big Ulysses S. Grant. Book. I, was, I was just
1: thinking about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what my computer's sitting on right now to get me at a good angle. But I mean, I've got um, two copies of that book. Uh, One, Uh, is a school copy that I somehow ended up with at home, but I also have it myself. And I mean, that book, it's long. I mean, that's that's a long book, Uh, but it's so well-written that it doesn't feel long. You know, I feel feel like with nonfiction, you kind of know what you're getting going in. Uh, You've got to know all that stuff. So what's the first thing you wrote that made you think, I can do this?
1: Well, I'd have to say Rotten Tree was the first first short story mm-hmm. I wrote that got published. I'm like, ah, I, mm-hmm. I got it. But you know, like I said, that was immediately followed with, you know, rejection, rejection, rejection. Yeah. And um I have a uh short story that is it's gonna be coming out I think in March is when they put the release date as. It's in that the uh motel anthology. Oh, from yeah. cowboy Jamboree. Yeah. And that's to me that is, like I find figured out what my voice is. You know, yeah. That, if you believe in such a thing, you know that that's a story that I'm I'm most proud of. And you know, if you want to talk about influences and inspirations, that's like that story came out of a line of dialogue from a movie that I was watching, and a scene out of Better Call Saul. And oh, yeah. it's nothing like either one of those, you know. But it's just like I have a I read uh, Jordan Harper's newsletter. You know, I don't know, or Substack. I don't know if you do or not. It's um, mm-hmm. "Welcome to the Hammer Party," mm-hmm. and uh, he's big on spirit boards. You know, like stuff to capture the mood of what you're trying to write. That way, you know, if you get a little lost on the path, you can go back to it and get back, get back into it. Yeah. And uh, those two things were pretty big. That, and I was reading and rereading a lot of Carver and Blot and a lot of the favorites. You know, so yeah that that story, um, I feel like I finally got in my groove.
0: I did a thing when I was writing my <clears throat> my first novel, where I found that it was easier for me to write the characters if I had a sense of what they looked like. You know you're talking about your board, yeah. so I went online and I just found some pictures of you know, celebrities or just normal people in the background or something, just cropped them to the point where I'm like, okay, that's what they look like. That's kind of, now I can picture them more in my head. This is kind of their body and all that. And you can, that helped me so much just knowing that, okay, she looks like this. He looks like that. Um, this is what the town looks like, because in reading your stuff, like all of it takes place in a, is that a created County Elam County that you've created?
1: yeah yeah it's just yeah. easier <laughs> yeah so
0: my mine is too but uh, it's real <laughs> Yeah, <a lot. laughs> like the the people in it are real people uh yeah the uh, places, I, uh, I'm not there's throwing a lot of them under the bus you know
1: yeah yeah there, there's uh locations and stuff that's based off like i'm from bledsoe county yeah where that's where i live and that's uh there's like restaurants, a gas station and a motel kind of, I like kind of mix and match places mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's based off the real, you know, it ain't completely fiction. Yeah. I guess.
0: Well, I did a thing. So I did, I did this thing where the, the town I grew up in doesn't go by the name that it was settled under. It was settled under uh, a different name. So, I just use the original name for the name of the town, because unless you're from that town, you're not going to know that anyway. And then I just invented a name of a County, uh, which got me around, you know, I'm able to write about home in a way that I am, but I'm not, you know, and you, it's kind of like at the beginning of a TV show, we've na- changed the names to protect the innocent, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. can, <laughs> you can base anything on anybody, but as long as you, uh, it, it helps if you know who you're writing about and that can oh. kind of help you frame things. Um, so we can talk about three of yours uh, that I've read. Um, we were lucky enough to be in the same uh, issue in the spring um, when you did uh, Good Time Charlie and Heartbreak Holly, right? home um, homewrecker Harley. Yeah, homewrecker. I don't know why I said yeah. Heartbreak. Homewrecker. Yeah. And I've only <laughs> read it three times today. <laughs> Leave it to me to mess it up when we get here. Um, so that tells me a lot about you, that that story because I used to be a musician and you get some of that stuff
1: exactly right. Um, I, I did too. <laughs> yeah. So
0: you get it, right? Like it's yeah. always like, mm-hmm, man, you know, talking about protecting <laughs> the innocent, there's always somebody in a band. And I got the sense these two guys were like high school band buddies. Right. And they, they're yeah. trying to put something together and we've all been there. And if you are the songwriter, there is always somebody in the band that thinks they're better than you are. And they want to like be the songwriter. Right. Oh, yeah. And like, you, you nail that so well that like, here's this song, right. That, and then just to have it like thieved away from you, like that would be like so infuriating, you know, yeah, I mean, and there it, there you are at a reunion and it's like smeared in your face, you know, that this is going on and hey, talk about that. That's give me some of that background. Cause I get that. I feel that, uh, I feel that deep inside my bones.
1: <laughs> you still got a fire burning in there, don't you?
0: <laughs> well, I was the one that eventually said, you know what? If I'm writing these and I'm singing them, I don't need the rest of y'all anyway. So I just went and played solo by myself. <laughs> just removed myself from the band part of it.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, um, I will start off with saying that for the longest time, I really rebelled against like country music you know, Mm -hmm. just because it's kind of like books I wouldn't introduce to the rock. Mm you know, so, uh, you know, which I grew up listening to a lot of punk music and a lot of like, I I guess, emo music, you know, (laughs) and, uh, that stuff like the bands I played around in for a while. And then I started playing and uh, it was a country band, but pretty much bro country. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I sat down and me and the singer and a guitar player was figuring out how to write a song because we had a big gig that we had. And uh, me and the drummer uh, wrote the majority of the song. And we, uh, neither one of us liked country music, not, not the kind of country music we were playing. We weren't playing dancing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, We were getting into like Jason Aldean territory. And I don't even like the guy, but you know, I'm, I was buddies with everybody. So I'm like, and it's a gig. You know, yeah, when you're from a small yeah. town, there ain't a lot of bands. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. you, you are the band them. half the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we wrote this song and, you know, it, it was country-ish, but it wasn't, do you know a band called, uh, Lucero? Oh God. Yes. Lucero. Yeah. You know, with your Arkansas oh, boy. So. Owns a
0: piece of my teenage <laughs> heart. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. See, I was a late like, bloomer to them. You know, yeah. I didn't start listening to them until I graduated and, yeah. uh, you know, me and the drummer were big Lucero guys and you know, that bands mentioned in that story too. Yeah. But uh we uh wrote the most Lucero esque song we could. And <laughs> I've been uh, there. Everyone's like, I've been
0: there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like looking back, like you can just hear it, you know. Yeah. And uh the singer wound up taking a lot of a lot of the credit for it, yeah. you know. Just which we wound up breaking up a little bit later, but you know, it's like death of a thousand cuts, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just like that was the first one.
0: No, have you ever met them? You ever met Lucero? No, man, they're the probably, nicest, yeah. they are the nicest dudes, like right. they are, they're exactly what you think they are, like just absolutely just soft to the earth. That's, that's good to hear, yeah. you know. I've seen them, golly, at least six or seven times. And w- before they got super big, I'd seen them two or three times and you could literally after the show, just walk up and, and talk to them about anything you wanted to, to talk about. And I'm talking like early days when they were legless half the time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they put on a show where they were wore out at the end of it. Like Ben would just be like a ball of sweat. and It, it was just, they were good yeah. early. Uh, they lost me in the middle. Uh They had uh, a, they had a middle period where they put the horns in and uh, yeah, they, they a tried lot and
1: more keyboards. A yeah. A lot of, uh, that Memphis sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they went for that.
0: And I don't know. So golly, we could go for hours about Lucero, but, uh, <laughs> no, I still got a piece. Hey, I'm, they here, just,
1: for it. They I'm still, here for it.
0: They still got a piece. I mean, I think we're going to see them at the rev room, in little rock, uh, coming up, uh, I think in March, we just bought the tickets the other day. So, you know, they're, they're, they're still good. They're still good. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that really foments the anger for the end of that story. Cause I mean, I do, I do get that. Like I could see that unfolding in my mind. Like you're, you're like Charlie just charging the stage and punching, <laughs> punching yeah. the lead singer. Uh, and, but, I mean, you're
1: from a small town too, right? Or small.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the- 600, 600 people.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm about right there with you. You know, yeah. like I think if you count the entire county I'm from, like maybe fourteen hundred people. Maybe. Yeah. And that's not just like the town part of town, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um oh, we don't even have a red light. No, so, me neither. Yeah. We're we're the you, same man. And you
0: probably you probably got a loop that you drive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's six hundred and the signs change now, but when, when I was growing up, there were 662 people in my hometown. And I think I was kin to 150 of them, you <laughs> know? I mean, <laughs> everybody, yeah. in, everybody in school is a cousin, you know, a distant cousin or, or some way. And I don't mean that in the way that people are going to take that. I mean, that town was so small, everybody, it was settled by these families. Like these are the families that live here, you know?
1: Yeah. And they ain't coming uh, no, that way. No, yeah. no.
0: And especially we're, you know, it's dirt farms, it's rice and soybeans and that's million dollar land. Like these people are not going anywhere, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a lot the same. The thing that killed my hometown was they closed the school and, uh, we don't get a lot of new blood in there now because of that. But when it was, when it was, when it had a school and, and things were, we had industry there, it it was better than it is now. Now it's kind of like, I don't feel like it's home when I go back now, it looks a little different. Yeah. yeah
1: hey i'm with you yeah. but uh you know then you know the feeling of kind of feeling like you get left behind like you see other people moving on to yeah crazy things and you know, there for a while you know i kind of kind of felt like that you know because where i'm from you either work at the prison which you know mm-hmm. it's a state job you get good benefits and everything or you drive three counties over and get a job at the tire mm-hmm. plant so mm-hmm. you know i'm went straight from high school to the prison yeah and i uh, so. uh, worked opener. there yeah i worked with people who've been there for you know 20 years and that's the only job around you know yeah and uh you see like some of your friends moved to nashville and things and you just didn't have the means to do it and you just had to get a job yeah, yeah. i came from a lower middle class family like my dad was a coal miner whenever there was a strip mine not too far from here they closed it down. He worked construction. My mom built lawnmower engines until yeah. I was about out of high school. So, you know, I didn't have the, the, you know, my mom and dad wasn't about to put me up in Nashville to try to make it. And yeah. I didn't have it in me to be a starving artist or, <laughs> or anything like
0: that. Man, I was an idiot twice. I mean, i've I've thrown away high school scholarship, college scholarship. I mean, I think. Life comes to you when it's coming to you, you know, and I think yeah. looking back, I think to ask a kid at 17, 18 years old, you know, figure out what you're going to do with your life and then do this for four years. And then when you get out, you'll have a career. That's a tough ask on somebody at 17, 18 years old. Cause I didn't figure out who I wanted to be until I was golly, almost 30, you know, and yeah. by then, you've made so many mistakes that you've got to go back and kind of, correct all that to get to a point to where you feel like, you know, I'm on that path. But, you know, eventually you get through school and you get through, you know, everything you want to get through and and things start to click. But, man, that early adulthood can be tough. And I envy folks that write from that point, like they've had all this all this time to figure out who they are. So I envy that. But then on the other hand, I think, well, what about the folks like us that picked it up a little later in life and are having success? I mean, that to me is almost more impressive than somebody that's trained since day dot and gone through degree (laughs) after degree to figure it out. So and some of those people, I'm sure you've seen them online. You'll read their tweets or you'll see Instagram posts or whatever just to people like Oh, it's so hard to write like the writing process. Oh, you know, like, yeah, it's hard, but shit, pull yourself up. Let's go. You know, like, are you going to whine? I think more people whine than they write. (laughs) I think that's become a cool thing
1: to whine instead
0: of write. Um, Yeah, which I mean,
1: that's why you got to really work at it, you know? Yeah, because
0: if you're you're not writing, you're not getting any better at it. So why complain? Just sit down and, you know, write anything just to get better, yeah, and,
1: and everybody writes garbage. You know? Oh yeah. Like, they have garbage that no one is ever going to see. But them. yeah. But yeah. I mean, that, that is how you get better. You got to suck
0: it up. And then, I am you know, sure. you a good Yeah. I said this to Sheldon the other day, you know, Tony Morrison and George Saunders, have got some just ugly stories somewhere that will never see the light of day.
1: Oh yeah. You know, yeah.
0: like <laughs> I mean, no, nobody is that brilliant that everything they write goes out. I mean, yeah. I've heard Saunders say before that he's got some stuff that um uh, that he hadn't he's just got some he's never gone back to. You know, one oh, yeah. uh he was he was on a podcast the other day talking about that. But yeah, it, it is hard to 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 know where you're going that young. And especially as a writer, your early stories are trash, like you like you say. And it, it's just getting the chops, putting in the time. It's a lot like music right like you yeah. if you're going to be tight you've got to practice 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 and i think oh yeah
1: you know that's I the, mean, we uh whenever i played like the country band is the one that we had the most success with mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we uh pretty much lived together yeah for months yeah. i mean the the majority of the time that we played together we all lived in the drummer's basement pretty yeah. much
0: we so would practice true. in my parents shop and I guess when we well, not I guess, I know when we got too loud, the cops would come, but they would never interrupt us while we were practicing. They would let us finish the song and then they'd be like, You're gonna turn it down. <laughs> so I was like, Well, if we got the cops listening, it can't be all that bad. So <laughs> yeah. we got somebody. <laughs> we got somebody. Yeah. So you talked about um rotten tree earlier. Yeah. And uh that's a dark story with an O Henry twist. Kinda at the at the <laughs> end of it. You want to tell me tell me a little bit about what you were thinking about when you wrote that and how that story came to be.
1: Oh, well, um, I'm trying to think of the best way of wording this because I do <laughs> edit myself a little bit. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with uh, with Lucia Berlin at all?
0: Vaguely, not enough with, to where I could talk,
1: you know, in depth. She's the, she's not like the only author. that a lot of her stuff is like, I guess what they call auto fiction where, yeah. you know, it's like based off her life, but she fictionalizes it mm-hmm. You know, to a certain point. Sometimes she doesn't, you know, it'll be like her character's name will be Lucia. And, uh, that story, not obviously it didn't happen. I didn't kill my dad, but <laughs> there was, uh, there was, dad, dads
0: which, tend to have some really gruesome endings in your story. <laughs> oh man. Yeah.
1: Dad. Well, you know how you talk about that, uh, exorcism right yeah yeah right. yeah you know i'm really uh i did not have the greatest of childhoods mm-hmm. um i have two sons so fatherhood scares me and you know I, like most dads you know you want to get it right and there's certain aspects where you feel like you're gonna mess it up you know and uh that story dads have a tough break in my story it, it just comes out like that but uh that story is based on an incident where my dad killed some rabbits with a hammer oh yeah you know like five and it just just kind of took shape from there and you know i sat down and started writing it and uh you know i i did not uh sorry if i'm being very open here no that's fine but uh i didn't really fit in with a lot of the crowd here you know like i Didn't grow up hunting really like my dad brought me, but I didn't really like it. I didn't like working on cars. You know, the stuff that is stereotypically what people are into around here, which is also in a lot of ways not true because, you know, like you mentioned winter's bone on your last episode, Mm. like, you know, uh, friend that she goes to see, I can't remember the character's name, but she tries to borrow her boyfriend's truck and they're like, really heavy metal and everything like that. More more accurate than most stuff i read or see in you know appalachian set films mm-hmm. like that's more true and that's like in the ozarks but that's yeah. more relative to my upbringing you know yeah and uh, yeah that story just just poured out of me man you know i just thought about that and you know you hear stories about other kids dads and you know they're trying to toughen them up and make a man out of them and uh i just thought about the most extreme version of that. Yeah. And well, to I, me, the most extreme,
0: my whole first novel is about dad issues. I mean, not that I have any, I mean, my dad's dead now, but we weren't close really. I mean, but he, he was good dad. I mean, he, he's just a quiet man. You didn't really know a lot about him. I mean, he just, so there, there are areas of my dad's life that I'll never know anything about, you know? Um, I know, I know what I had with him, but he was in no way an influence on that story. I, I say that just to kind of, you know, touch base with you there. Cause I can, I can get that, but that, that my book is very much about a son that feels like he doesn't fit with the rest of the family, right? Like he, he was good at basketball. He was a musician um, his dad told him that those weren't things you do around here. Like that's soft. Like we need you to do this so that you can be a part of the family and you need to do that. And, you know, he makes a decision to say screw all that and he enlists in the army and goes to Vietnam, you know, just to prove a point, you know, and the whole of that book really is about him trying to, in some way, even though he doesn't care to live up to, his father's vision of what he should be, you know. Um, yeah. And there is a lot of that. And I can relate to that rabbit and hammer story too, because my grandpa, my story with that is we were fishing and we'd caught some catfish and uh, he was banging them on the head with a hammer. And I was like, Papa, yeah. why, why don't you just cut their throat? <laughs> you know, like I was <laughs> like, this, why are you hitting them on the head with a hammer? Um, oh they yeah. brought that, you know and that, they brought that up at Christmas. Way, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that's just how you did things, and because he was a he was a hard man. Like, I mean, he he worked till he couldn't work. Um But yeah, that's just the way things were. Um So we can let's move to burnt then, because burnt kind of alludes to dads again, because you burnt one up on the other side of a mountain. <laughs> that's a story which is a little and it kind of goes with your winner's bone right because i mean there's this is a this is a story about methamphetamine i mean really and i don't know what it's like in east tennessee but you know around here it is the drug of choice and uh you see people do some crazy things so oh yeah talk about
1: about burnt for a moment it's uh well burnt came came about because i was in Sheldon's workshop that I took. I actually wrote that in there mm-hmm. and he decided to publish it. But, uh, like you said, methamphetamine was a drug of choice around here for a long time, which now it's moved on to like fentanyl and yeah. heroin, stuff like that. Cause, I mean, you can go to certain parking lots and see, you know, used syringes laying around. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it it's ravaged around here. And uh, I had a family member who, uh, in that story, I mentioned what's called smirking which he yeah uh, yeah yeah that's um you get people to go around and buy Sudafed okay from a different place, much different you know stores and everything that way you know you're not going to one town and buying a bunch of Sudafed in one place and then getting on everybody's radar you just get people to do it around the yeah. area that's what they call it here smurfing he, yeah okay. uh, he got arrested for that and that that kind of started that whole story
0: yeah it's so, it's, it's a short story, but there's so much in it, you know, like you get, and I love the way it ends, right? Like, I'm just tired, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, that, that, you can almost see somebody saying that, you know? Well, and,
1: and that part, um, like I said, I worked at a prison for a long time, mm-hmm. well, a long time for me, you know? Um, I'm not that type of guy. I learned that in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not the uh, correctional officer type, yeah, but a lot of the guys that were in there, and it's not all because you know I, I refuse to believe that it, like there's good and bad people just straight up. You know, there's mostly gray. And uh, there was a drug program there that some of the inmates could take if they wanted to. And uh, there was one guy who, uh, I mean, he's a nice guy, but you could just tell. Like even in prison, you know, they're, they're able to get drugs and cell phones, all the stuff they're not allowed to have, people bring it in to them. And, um, you know, one time me and him just got to talking, and uh, he was just telling me his story and how he got in there. And you could just tell from looking at him that he was tired. You know, like, he just said that he was exhausted of prison, exhausted living the way he was, so he wanted to get better. And then, you know, he did get better for a while, and then he just slid right mm-hmm. back. And, uh, you know, my family member is the same way. You know, if you just look at him, they, he's just dog tired, you know, because in between jail and running around trying to get the things that he needs to get by, it's just, it's a hard life, you know? How, how much did you pull from that, from that
0: experience, just being in a jail? Does it help? Does it uh, hurt?
1: It helps. I mean, just because you learn a lot about it. You know, you learn a lot about how desperate people can get and what that leads to. You can learn also about how, uh, am I allowed to cuss on this? Oh,
0: yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh,
1: You can. (laughs) You you learn about how big of assholes people can be just to be an asshole. And uh, a lot of those assholes have backstories where you're like, oh, okay, well, I see how he turned into that, you know. And, um, I mean, I do pull from that a lot because you know like it's the old adage you no know, desperate people do desperate things you know yeah. that's like what a lot of our fiction is based on you know yeah and just yeah. hard truth you know and at the same time you see how much system doesn't work mm-hmm. you know like the correction system does not does not work
0: well my wife works in it she's a circuit clerk here for the county so we see all that stuff come through the courts and the, the thing that I get out of it is stories, you know, like, and there's some stuff that comes through there and I'm like, God, I'd like to write a story about that. And she's like, well, you can't because it hasn't been adjudicated yet, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it is like you say, it's just amazing some of the stuff that you hear that you, you hate to use normal because normal's not a good word to use for it because those people are normal too. But run of the mill folks, would never go to the links that some of these people go to, to make ends meet. And that's just a different world to the world that we're living in. Um, Oh yeah. And it just blows your mind all the time. What you see, what you hear kind of the desperation, like you say, because that does inform a lot of what I'm writing about and not the second book. I like my second book is not so much a straight gritty piece. Like my short stuff is. You know, but it's still got those elements. And I think that I see that all through your work and the people that we, you know, travel in the same circle with online and and talk to, uh, we seem to be drawn to the same stuff. And I think that's because there is some, you use the term dirty realism. I think the realism is the key part to it. I mean, there's that. I think that's what people want to read. They want to read real life stories. And that's not knocking fantasy um, at all or science fiction. I mean, some people love those things, but I got nothing but respect to people who can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I just, it's, I, I, that's not me. I mean, I love Vonnegut. Like I can read that. Yeah. Um, but, and I, the Hobbit, you know, things like that. But I mean, I cannot get into like super high fantasy or, or sci-fi. I just need to, I need to, I'll tell you a funny story. And this is, this is hilarious. When I was in grad school, I went to Mississippi state. And I was doing a, a history degree and uh, I wanted to, I'd written so I wanted to write about the history of rice in Arkansas. It was ag history, which on itself doesn't even sound exciting,
1: <laughs> but well, I, I'm, I'm I, I was, I was con- <laughs> no. I was
0: convinced I could make it interesting. And after a semester, I was so bored and I'll tell you why I missed people. Because all I'd read about was rice. All I'd read about was rice production, and the story I wanted to tell was the story of the people that brought it. I, I wanted to focus more on the people than I wanted to focus on the agricultural history side of it. And I could have done yeah. that. I could have done it. I could have written a book about, you know, the people that that brought rice to Arkansas. That needs to be. It still needs to be written. But I just miss people too damn much, and lost that passion i think they say all things happen for a reason i think that's kind of what pushed me over into well let's write about people let's write stories about maybe you can use that in your book you know or something and it's been it's been handy because a lot of the stuff that you've written you've got those elements of authenticity in there like the like in um, good time charlie right like you got all that band stuff right you got all that meth stuff right in burnt like you got all those things right and if you don't experience those things like if i wouldn't have had that background in rice i couldn't have written about um the portions of that that are in my novel right so you know it it all does happen for a reason it's just getting it all to marry up (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and it and whenever you know certain things about you know it can be random topics or lifestyles or like like you and sheldon talk about flop around here. Whenever you read a book by somebody, and you can just tell that they're painting everybody by the same with the same brush, it that burns me up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't can't stand that. It's the lazy way to go about. Yeah. it you know. I, it's easy I to yeah. Say everybody I, the same way. I've thought so much about his antidote about the chalk, you know, and the conveyor belt. Uh, yeah because nobody would think about getting that right. But the people that are listening or the people that are reading are, are reading and looking for the details that, that matter. And if you do screw that up, you lose some credibility and you got to keep credibility with your reader. or They're going to stop reading.
1: Uh, oh yeah. Like uh, like prison stories. Yeah. I I can't even sit and like watch a movie set in a prison without like, looking for a little, yeah i'll nitpick it to death and it's unintentional you know like i'll go with the story you no. know like, whatever the it ruins is, you he, yeah.
0: it does yeah you
1: know but uh it, it does just ruin it and there's a book called barker house and uh that's the best prison it's a like a collection of short stories it's kind of like mm-hmm. um the things they carried you know they're all interconnected it's one book yeah but yeah there's a bunch of different characters that you want the best prison book? That's the best one I've read. And what was the name oh, yeah. of that book again? Barker House. Barker House.
0: Okay. Yeah, it, I did. Uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: It, well, I was just going to say it's told mostly from the uh, correctional officer's mm-hmm. viewpoint, and that's you know that is a viewpoint that is not explored a lot.
0: That's a unique way to look at it, for sure. Um, yeah, I did. Um, I mean, in college, I worked in a restaurant, same restaurant pretty much the whole time. And uh, I would watch TV shows. I'm like, that's not how you do that. That's not how that's done until the bear came out on Hulu. Oh yeah, The bear nails the restaurant. Like whoever wrote that show has worked in a restaurant and been (laughs) in the shit before. Like they know, (laughs) they know what they're doing. And it just uh,
1: seems like the most
0: stressful job. Oh, it's awful. That's awful. And people want to send, ours was a steakhouse and they, they would send stuff back and you would just want to kill them. I'm like, they, you order it medium rare and we send it out there and it's perfect. And they tell you it's underdone. Like, or if somebody orders it well done, you just want to throw it in the trash. Like it's just, yeah, it, it's, not it's as it well. <laughs> yeah. It's just leather. It's just a boot. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about uh, what you got coming up. So you got out there in the dark, which is a novella. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Kind of what the, you don't have to tell us everything because we don't want to ruin it, but give us kind of the 10,000 foot view elevator pitch of what uh, out there in the dark is.
1: Well, um, right now I'm about halfway, give or take, you know, depending on if I'm able to make it through and not scrap the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is that novel that I started writing that didn't pan out. And I just, I started out trying to be a certain kind of writer, writing a certain kind of stories, and I could just tell that it was like I was, um, like you and Sheldon said, covering yeah. all these other you know, which I think everybody does when they're first starting out. You know, you write what you know, write what you love, and uh, I was just taking the wrong viewpoint with it. I was looking, thinking about it all wrong. So uh, the story is uh, about a father and a son, no, <laughs> but this father, uh, it, I don't say how it ends, but it's not like my other, other okay. story. He's going to live, but, uh, everybody. He's going to live. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a single father. Um, He's raising his son. He's the owner of a uh, gas station slash diner. I mean, you're from a small town. You know, those are yep. everywhere. Yep. And uh, his son gets in a brawl with a off-duty cop. And it, it just goes around the events circling that it's over his son's girlfriend and uh this is some more of that i guess auto fiction kind of because there was a similar incident that happened where uh me and a group of friends went went to the uh called the city park but you know it's the park that's in town and uh the gate was left open and there was two vehicles parked there and one of them looked like our buddy's truck so we moved it and uh it turns out that it was off duty cop that was in the woods with a No, oh. and it turned into you know he chased us with a gun. Long story short, turned into a uh, a big county affair, and uh, that's kind of what the story's about.
0: Golly, that sounds good, man. <laughs> Get yeah, that, it's always the funny stuff you do when you're kids that can like just open a can of worms, like you never oh, yeah. believe we uh, oh, God,
1: we would never would have thought, yeah,
0: that was going to turn into that. You know. We, we were, uh, on a street, con- well, in a small town, you can, you've got corners that are wooded, right? Like, and you know, it can yeah. be a blind, a blind corner, a blind wooded corner. And, uh, they had outlawed eggs on Halloween pretty much in our town a long time ago. Uh, yeah, you couldn't throw (laughs) eggs at cars. you you could not buy eggs almost like the week of Halloween. Like if you were a (laughs) miner, they were they were (laughs) they were not selling eggs to miners in my town, guaranteed. And uh, you know, for years, that's what you did. You just like egg cars and threw biscuits at cars or whatever. And we uh we decided we were going to have a bunking party, I guess. And we went over to my buddy's house and we stayed there. And his dad came in at about dark with uh three dozen eggs and like six things of biscuits (laughs) he's like you boys go have a good time right (laughs) so we went down to this little wooded corner and we made mischief and uh i i was done like there, there wasn't anybody out and um for some reason one of our friends jumped out and hit this what i will call a redneck tank it was jacked up. <laughs> like it had Confederate license plates. Like it was more rust than it was anything. And man, he nails this thing. And I thought, oh shit. So I ran yeah, deep, deeper, willing, yeah, deeper <laughs> into these woods. Well, he split. Like he just like took off down the road. And uh, this guy gets out of the truck with an ax handle and uh, comes into the woods, man. I'm like laying down behind a tree. <laughs> I was scared to death. And there was this kid with us who was not part of our group that had he'd ran the other direction. And, uh, yeah. the guy was like, who threw that at me? Who threw that at me? And anyway, I threw the other kid under the bus and pointed in the other direction. I think <laughs> he went off chasing him. There was no way he was going to catch that guy.
1: Right,
0: But, uh, just smart asses. You know, he, he oh, told yeah. us, he's like, you boys know what this is. I'm like it looks like an axe handle to me. He's like, "Yeah." He said, "You know what it'd do to you?" And I went, "Damage, probably." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Anyway, he's like, "Yeah, watch this." And he, this is the funniest part of this whole story. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, "Yeah, watch this." And he, he slammed that axe handle up against a sapling right there and split it. Split the axe handle, not the sapling. <laughs> 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 and I was just thinking to myself, "Man, you better get a bigger handle." Okay. Um, I anyway, agree with the wrist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I could have took that it would have gave <laughs> uh, but anyway he took off after the other kid and we got out of that but uh, I, there's no way you catch him that other kid can run like run like nobody's business <laughs> but oh yeah yeah it it, what's
1: it, was weird it just, that is, that's exactly yeah. kind of what happened yeah in our little our little problem you know as soon as that happened we uh we moved the truck by hand we moved it like I don't know maybe foot maybe. maybe yeah and uh because I mean you're stupid it's a truck you ain't gonna pick it up and move it yeah and uh we're getting back in our truck and you know we hear somebody yelling and we like stop and look around and the guy that was in front of me getting in the truck is gone <laughs> you know like, you just see him take off running <laughs> it through the just, woods he's it's got a just, it's
0: just gone yeah. yeah
1: yeah i mean it was like roadrunner pretty much yeah. and uh you know i'm like well who's yelling and then i see somebody with a flashlight running through the woods so you know like i jump in uh it it was five of us but uh my cousin was driving he jumps in gets behind the wheel and uh the other two get in the bed of the truck and it was like out of a movie like the truck wouldn't start it's the only (laughs) time it's never not started (laughs) yeah and uh as soon as that guy came running up you know he had his gun out and uh one of my buddies jumped out of the back with an axe handle (laughs) and and, and, uh I ain't going get into all the particulars, but yeah, nothing happened. You know.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thankfully.
1: Which my buddy who ran off came back because he thought that it was our buddy that was just really, you know, pissed off. Yeah. And uh no, no, it was not him. But
0: I, uh, I can tell you that six high school boys can lift a Volkswagen beetle off railroad tracks with a train coming. I do know that to be a fact?
1: Proper motivation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. I no, mean, I was sitting there like, just leave it, let insurance pay for it. But, uh, <laughs> but, don't cover uh, this, man. don't yeah, no cover it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All
1: right. <laughs> so, Have you, uh, you heard anything about when your book's coming out?
0: 2025. Congratulations
1: on that, by Thank the way. Thank
0: you, sir. Appreciate that. 2025. And it's so funny. Um, I had shopped that book. So that book I had written the first draft written when, uh, I got in my MFA program and workshopped it all through the program. Um, and it was going to be my thesis from the time I started. And when it got finished, I'd got nothing but positive feedback on it. I'd sent it to ex professors. I'd sent it to, um uh, uh uh, beta readers, um, I'd, uh, Eli Cranard read a uh, page or two of it and sent me an encouraging email back. Um, and just, I felt good about it. I didn't feel like there was much wrong with it, but you want to talk about boomerangs and stuff like that. no! The, no. The, the most disheartening thing you'll ever do is one, try to get an agent and then two, try to sell a book because and I mentioned Ron Rash in that last um, podcast This is one of the things he told me because I asked him about how do you get an agent? And he said, well, Dan, he said, you get one when you're not looking for one. And uh, he put he put a book out that got some good reviews and got an agent after that. Um, But it it just it got to the point to where I was worried. I knew that it was good. I knew that everything married up i knew that the plot made sense and it had a really really good ending and i'm lucky enough that my wife reads a lot of books and she will not bullshit me if something's not good and she'd read it and you know everybody's wife's going to tell you it's good but i can tell when that's crap you know like i knew that she's good i'd had two three other people read it and it just that book was done. I wasn't going to do anything else to it. So, you know, you get rejections from everything to, you know, I see that this is 50,000 words. We wish that you would do that. Well, I mean, that just tells you they didn't read it, you know, like if they're going on work.
1: Yeah.
0: And I got quite a few with personalized messages. I got five or six that had a personalized message, which is always good. Even though it's a no, if they, if they write something, that's good. Um, but I had given up on it. I was actually thinking about going into the second one and just finishing it off. I'm on the last chapter of that. And, um, you know, Adam said he'd read it. He said his to be read pile was high, but he would read it. And, uh, I didn't know how long that was. Didn't know when that was going to happen. Um, So I just uh, thought, well, he'll read it. And when he gets to it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'll keep submitting to other folks. And I had sent it to a place in Texas that was kind of excited about it, but they were more focused on fantasy. Uh, and it would have been one of their first, you know, literary fiction publications. And uh, a girl that I was in school with started that press. So she had read it and was excited about it. And, uh, yeah, I was either going to do that or I was going to start my own publishing house because I felt like it needed to be out there. And I I don't want to sound like, you know, a prima donna, like my stuff's good and it needs to be there. But you've heard my theory on the music industry and publishing too. Like I do think that those two things are going to meet at some point, like publishing's going to become like that because the big five is so hard to crack.
1: Um, and people, people I feel like are growing more and more tired of the big five.
0: Yeah, we're at a Britney Spears in sync moment with this, you know, where everything is the same, (laughs) you know, but you understand that like we're at, well, let me, let me reframe it. We're at the Nirvana moment with, oh, Nirvana Bush moment. Okay. Yeah. Cause you got, everything is the same. Like, I'm not saying it's all bad, but everything is in the same vein and there's gotta be a disrupting force, you know to come through there. And I said in the tweet when, uh, cowboy Jamboree picked it up that I had always thought that would be its home, you know, but my thing there was the submission guidelines say they consider books by people that they published. Right. Yeah. So I'd only gotten that published in the spring. So, you know, I sent it off, uh, early summer, mid summer. And, uh, Adam said, uh, it's a few editorial things he wants to do with it, but other than that, it's good. And that was the way I felt about it. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where I wanted it to be in the first place.
1: I'm kind of an indie. Couple of just where it's at. You know, like I got yeah. I like indie books, indie music. You know, but they they put out some of the best work.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I was super happy I just
1: because we have stories and a book yeah. with you. It's yeah. just you know, like Sheldon. I know he said that he's a uh, probably the most uh, overlooked, underrated, unsung Appalachian rider. In a lot of ways, he is. He's not talked about near enough. Mm-hmm. Now I'm pretty damn proud that Cowboy Jamboree sticks by him. Yeah. In all this stuff. Well, it, it, it makes me feel good to be a
0: part of that. I mean, the, all company. of his work, yeah, he was, so, you know, full disclosure, Sheldon was, pretty well, my thesis advisor in grad school. So, I mean, he's seen this book through start to finish and, uh, you know, when he's telling you he believes in it and then you submit it, like I always held out hope that it was going to get picked up there. So, uh, yeah, super excited. Uh, the worst part about it is you got to wait a year, you know, and then when oh, the, year's yeah. up, the years up, you'll have it, you'll have it in your hands, but yeah, it's exciting. Uh, it's a little, kind of takes the pressure off a little bit you feel like because with an MFA a lot of the things that um, I mean you can teach but a lot of your uh, requirements for jobs are you need to have a book published you know to get a job at a university or a small college and um, it certainly helps Um, and I think it kind of makes it easier because now you know what's out there you know what you're going to have to go through with the second one because the short yeah. story world and the novel world are two completely different animals, um, as far as the way that or as the way I think that they work. So, but yeah, it's exciting, and that yeah, excited to read it, man. That out out there in the dark will probably find a home there as well. I hope because you do review Fingers books, cross. you can certainly review it when it comes out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm all for it. You send it my way. I'll yeah. read it.
0: So. We've uh, we've been here an hour, so I'm going to ask you the famous last question, right? So, who are you having for dinner, uh, living or dead, and what are you going to serve?
1: You know, I knew you were going to ask this, and I still didn't prepare for it. It's tough. Um, All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's no way I'd pass up, not inviting Carver.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Carver's there. He won't say much. Blount. He won't say much. <laughs> <laughs> what he says counts so, yeah, though that's, right.
0: <laughs> that's right that's right um
1: definitely willie willie mm-hmm. will be there and uh probably lucia if i had to pick a third and i try my hand at some eggs bacon and some home fries man there. there you go you a, can't fail the diner breakfast. top you yeah. know and breakfast
0: yeah there's sometimes, I don't know if people around the country do this. I'm sure they do. I'm probably going down some regionalist wormhole, but God, <laughs> breakfast for breakfast for supper is not
1: bad. <laughs> I mean, you See gotta go supper. for that. Yeah. You know. It's
0: gotta be, it's gotta be. Get I think we well, gravy in
1: there.
0: Yeah. 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 Red eye gravy, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah. we always had, uh, my grandma would do, uh, just buttermilk gravy. I went to a place the other day, and they said sausage gravy, and I thought, well, that'll be good. There was more sausage in there, and there was gravy. Yeah, so, gravy—that's
1: uh, think. It's hard to get right. Yeah, you
0: know, you don't turn it into spackle. That's that's the yeah, worst part.
1: And and it never beats grandma's. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's <laughs> gotta
0: have it's gotta have pieces of the iron skillet in it to be good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my iron count will never be low. Yeah. Oh
1: looking out for you man
0: that's it always <laughs> is always is all right brother well thanks for being here i don't want to keep you much longer it's been a pleasure
1: yeah. i appreciate you having me man i really dig yeah. what you're doing and you too Look forward what to what make,
0: you bet and uh we'll have the uh i released one today there's like a 1.5 episode where i'll talk about the books that you mentioned and kind of let people know what you dig and what you're into and we'll um uh, talk about what you got coming up. I'll suggest the websites where your work is, where they can find you. And uh, you can tell them how they can get in touch with you. Like I said Twitter, right?
1: Yeah, that's mostly what I use, man. It's Twitter. Yeah.
0: And it's at that Justin Lee. Is that correct?
1: That, yeah, Yeah, you got it. Yeah.
0: All right, brother. Well, go enjoy. I think you said you're having tacos. Go enjoy the rest of your tacos and play with them little ones. Oh, I hear them running. So. <laughs> All <laughs> right, man. It's good to see you.
1: Uh, good to see you. Uh, easy, man. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate you doing this.
0: Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. That was Justin Lee. I want to thank him for joining us this week. If you want to get in touch with Justin, you can find him at Twitter at that Justin Lee he's very generous with his time he loves to talk to other writers talk about books so i do suggest that you interact with him there if you get the chance you can find justin's work particularly the ones that we talked about on the podcast good time charlie and homewrecker holly that's at uh, cj magazine Uh, you can find that on the cowboy jamboree press website it's in the spring issue titled country and folk you can also find my story yankee dimes in the same issue really happy to share that issue with justin uh, you can find uh, Rotten Tree at Punk Noir Press. Really good read there. We talked about that one. We also talked about Burnt, which you can find at the Ergo Knot. All of Justin's work is available online, and I encourage you to look for his novella Out There in the Dark whenever it finds a home. Thank you for listening, guys. This has been episode two of the Fair to Midland podcast with Dan Russell and Justin Lee, and we look forward to when we get together the next time. So. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. Give us a like and a subscribe and drop a comment if you wish. We always look forward to constructive or, you know, non-constructive criticism. Put it in there. We'll talk about it. Till next time, guys, this is Stan Russell for the Fair to Midland Podcast. Appreciate y'all.